the Diamondbacks find themselves down 2-0 in the National League Championship Series as Philadelphia has steamrolled their way in games one and two. And the Diamondbacks are in a do-or-die position for game three. As a result, and we're going to talk about those two games and what's going forward for both the Diamondbacks and the Phillies. So hello, everyone. I'm Mike McDermott, host of the Snakes on the Diamond podcast. And on today's show, we have Jack Vita giving us the Phillies perspective. So It's great to be here, Michael. Thanks for having me. So can you give us a little bit of a history of how you start, uh, and started writing for the Phillies? Little bit. Yeah, so I've been over with the same fan nation uh, platform that you have. I think we both started around the same time. And since earlier this season, I've been writing for uh, Inside the Phillies over there on Sports Illustrated. So I've been doing that um, for a few, I guess, probably six months or so. Um, however, I'm based out of Chicago, so I'm also covering the Cubs. We also do Astro stuff. So I'm not one of the, just want to make it clear. I'm not one of the Phillies beat reporters that's there all the time, but I do watch a good amount of Phillies. So you look at the first two games, the Phillies have followed a similar script, early home run, get the crowd involved and kind of just play downhill from there. How big was it for them to basically build that lead? I think it's huge. I mean, you're going to be going back now to Arizona with a 2 nothing lead. I think if if this series was tied 1-1, it changes the outlook entirely for Arizona. Um, Philly's been here before. This is something they did last year. They went on this great playoff run. They have that confidence. They have a little bit of that swagger. And I, as you said, the, the Schwarber leadoff home run, uh, it's just – I mean, or whenever Schwarber or Turner or whomever it was last night, it was Turner. um, When they hit that home run to start the game, one nothing, that place just is electric. I mean, I've talked to former Phillies players. I've had them on my show. Kyle Kendrick said one time, uh, former Philly World Series champion, he, he said that it's a very noticeable home field advantage that you have playing there at the bank. Um, so I think it was very important for them to protect that home field advantage. And now they go into a situation where, I, I mean, Arizona's going to need to win two of these three games to keep the series going. Yeah, do you realistically think for in the Diamondbacks' chances of advancing, they would have to win not just two, but all three of their home games, so games three through five? I think know. that, yeah, so they would have to – if they, if they were to sweep their home series here, go and win Thursday, Friday, Saturday, then they go back with a, two opportunities to win in Philadelphia. Yeah, I think I do think they're probably going to need all three. They can get by with winning two to extend the series, but that's going to be a tall task to go into that ballpark where, you know, over the last over the last two years, only one team has beaten Philly in the playoffs at the bank. And that was the Houston Astros. And I thought that last night was a good opportunity for the Diamondbacks to steal a win. Uh, however, it didn't quite go that way. It was, it was, in fact, quite the opposite. Yeah, it was. Uh, the backs have been playing uphill basically since the first pitch in both games. But that's uh, kind of the, even though last night's score was 2 nothing, it was a competitive game going into the sixth inning. And then in game one, they got the tying run to the plate in the final three innings. So it, it's just a situation where it feels like one team, the, ex, the experience shows on the field. And for the other team, it does it. The lack of experience also shows Dimex for the first time. They look like the stage is too big 
trying to do too much as opposed to just playing how they did against the Dodgers, where it was much looser and uh, putting the pressure on them. Yeah, and I think it's something that I feel like you and I have probably talked about. You know, Michael has become a friend of mine. We spent some time in the press box. We've seen each other out at some of these fall league games, and we were over at Chase Field for that final weekend series that I was covering for the Astros site. And I know it's something that you and me and Jesse Friedman from PHNX, we've talked a little bit about how this Dimebacks team is a little bit of, for lack of a better word, it's a wild card. You don't know if they're going to have a series like they did in Milwaukee or in L.A. where they're just pounding you and they're spraying the ball all over the field. They hit four home runs in the same inning, which, of course, we had a good memory of watching that one happen in the press box. Um, But... Then they have these other stretches where we saw that in Houston, where the bats were cold that entire weekend. I think they scored three total runs over the that three-game three, uh, three game series against Houston. And it feels like that's kind of what we're seeing a little bit right now. I know they've had some opportunities. Um, they've been leaving a lot of guys in scoring position, a lot of men on base. Um, last night, entirely shut out. So I think especially with where they're at in their pitching staff. They've already used Gallon. They've used Kelly. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see what they do in game four after they use Fott in game three. I mean, I they're going to need to score a lot of runs in order to, to hang with Philly. And Philly is just clicking on all cylinders right now offensively. And, I mean, they have a little bit of a similar makeup in terms of pitching where they have those two aces type thing. Um, Michael, would you, let me ask you this, uh, sir, we could come back to what we were just talking about, but would you rather have Nola and Wheeler or would you rather have Kelly and Gallon? I think you'd have to go with Nola and Wheeler over Kelly and Gallon for right now. Yeah, Obviously, I would too. Nola's got a sub one ERA and three postseason starts. And then of course, Zach Wheeler is when he's on, we, the guy basically can threaten to throw a no hitter, completely wipe down a lineup two to three times through. Yeah, I would too. And so, I mean, they've got a better pitching staff, but I mean, they both, I mean, I think it's it was probably critical to at least win one of those games when you've got Gallon and Kelly, because now you're throwing it to Fott and I mean, we'll see what we, what, we'll see what we get in game four, uh, but they're outmatched pitching wise. Philly's going to throw Ranger Suarez in game three, game four. They could go in a couple of different directions. They could go with Taiwan Walker. They could go with Michael Lorenzen. Uh, there's a who's the other one? They've got another third option, I believe. Christopher Sanchez, I think, is another one. Yeah, they could go with Sanchez. I don't think they go with so, Lorenzen. Lorenzen's been booted out of the rotation. Yeah, well, I mean, they've got options though. I think it's probably going to be Walker. They paid him a lot of money to get them to really that was a big weakness last year was the length of the rotation. I mean, they threw Bailey falter out there and that NLCS game where both starting pitchers got pulled and didn't complete the first inning him and Clevenger. So, I mean, I, I think Philly is, you got a team right now that is everything's clicking. They've got great team chemistry. They've got a lot of confidence. They got a lot of swagger. They've been here before. They got that home field. And quite frankly, this is a better team than we saw a year ago. I mean, would you agree with that? You think this is a better Phillies team than we saw last year? Yeah, it's definitely a better team because they had one more batser lineup with Turner. And he's been able to hold the fourth down at shortstop and then uh, 
Alec Bohm has gotten better compared to last year. Last year he was he had holes in his glove. This year not so much. He's made some really good plays to halt some take away some hits from the Diamondbacks, steal some momentum back. It's like Philadelphia right now. Their defense, which would have been, I would have picked before the series as probably their fatal flaw. Their defense has been iron ironclad all series long. They haven't given the Diamondbacks any chances except for that one play in Game One where Sir Anthony Dominguez. Field of the comebacker and then threw the ball wide a second. That was about it. Yeah, and I think the the defense is better than it was a year ago. I mean, outfield defense right now. You've got Marsh and Rojas out there. Those guys will they'll catch anything pretty much. They cover a lot of range. Um, Castellanos isn't the best defender, but I mean, last year you were looking at they had to DH Harper, so they had to put Schwarber and Castellanos out there. So their outfield defense is definitely better. The lineup's better. They're getting more production out of Bryson Stott. Um, Brandon Marsh has had a really nice year. Um, Both those guys have taken a step forward. And then, um, of course, the addition of Trey Turner. Like, this is a – so basically you swap out last year's team where now you have, instead of Gene Segura, you're getting Trey Turner at bats in this series. Um and you've got a better Brandon Marsh and a better Bryson Stott. So I think this team coming in, Michael, I, I think we had some conversations, you and I, about what we thought was going to happen in the National League. I didn't believe in the Braves. I thought the Braves were going to be beatable because of their their pitching rotation really was kind of in shambles with some of those injuries. And... I mean, I thought that either Milwaukee or Philly would storm through and win the NL. And it didn't end up being Milwaukee because that was when the Diamondbacks went on the up offensively and they look great in that series. Um, But yeah, I mean, I really think that in order for Arizona to extend this series, in order for them to have a chance at winning this series, they're the the offense really needs to wake up. I think that's what it's going to boil down to because I don't think it's fair to expect Fott to give you six scoreless innings in this spot. I mean, it might not even be reasonable for him to give five. Yeah, right. It's gonna be a short, exactly. It's gonna be a short leash where they're going to pull him at the first sign of trouble, perhaps. I think. Yeah. In the third inning. Yeah, I agree. There's with no you. way he's facing. There's no way he's facing more than eighteen hitters in this game. No, definitely not. Not after the D-backs got burned in games one and two going through the lineup a third time with their starting pitcher. And that's with uh, Gallon and Kelly. There's no way they're going to do it with Fott. Yep, I agree with you. <laughs> so looking at game three, do the Diamondbacks need to make a similar momentum play where they need basically Corbin Carroll or Cattell Marte to launch a home run in the first inning or get a big hit to try and have the same effect on the Arizona crowd? to try and get themselves back in the series with that kind of statement. Yeah, Arizona needs something. I mean, one thing that I like about Philly, in addition to where it feels like they just have that that swagger, like when Bryce Harper hits a home run, it feels like he hits two home runs because of how, excite, how excited he gets and the dugout gets, and they start doing the Major League Two uh, thing here. I mean, have you? does Arizona have, like, I mean, you watch them much more closely than I do. Do they have any kind of home run celebration or 
something that really gets that dugout going and pumped up. Because, I mean, I feel like they need something like that in order to bring the fans into the game early. Because I've only been to Chase Field a few times, but it got very loud there for that Houston series. It has the potential to get very loud there. I was going to say, they used to have the home run snake, but I don't know if they had a... I don't know if that thing's still going or not. So it's a, it's up because I'm not paying necessarily paying attention to what goes inside the dugout after the home run. But uh, I'm not. So I I don't think I can necessarily answer that question. To the yeah. Well, so I mean that that says some a little bit of something though because we see what Philly has. Like we see how excited that team gets when they hit a home run. We see that, and then it transfers to the crowd. Now I do think. I mean, even if they're not doing some big celebration or something like that, if if they can lead off this game and if Corbin Carroll were to hit a home run or Moreno hit a home run in the in the first couple innings of this game, that would certainly fire up this fan base. You'd be you'd see people standing, making a lot of noise, and I I really do think that matters a lot. I mean, that's why I I, I honestly a lot of people in 2020 they want to discredit the Dodgers for winning that World Series in 2020. I would actually give them more credit because they were the best team in the National League and they didn't get that home field edge or advantage, really. They were playing neutral site games when they had earned to play in front of a fan base like that. So, yeah, I think um, I think that stuff really matters. And I think I do agree with you. I do think they need something like that to bring the fans into the game early. Yeah, and the main thing, obviously, getting that momentum flip, and then I think they need to have, in game three, they need to have a game where they take an early lead and they hold on to it wire to wire, similar to how they similar to how they took out the Dodgers in games one and two, where it's like score in the first inning and then just play downhill from there. Yeah, I mean, if you can hit four home runs off of Ranger Suarez in, in one inning, I think that would I think that would really increase their win probability, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah, I would suppose. The big inning came <laughs> the big innings haven't come by of late, obviously, since they've only scored in two of eighteen innings. Right. But I mean, you know, I, I think you would agree with me here, Michael. How many people had the Diamondbacks getting here to the NLCS? And I, I was sitting in the press box last night. And someone that was sitting by was reading Twitter and they were looking at, oh my gosh, the Dimebacks, this is, this is Arizona sports. They choke all the time. I mean, if you had told any fan, Hey, guess what? You guys are going to be playing. Your team's going to be playing in the NLCS this year. Everyone would sign up for that, right? Yeah. Everyone would sign up even for teams that are being talked about as world series favorites would sign up for that. And in the case yeah. for the Dimebacks, Fan base, particularly, if you told them that they were going to be in the playoffs, they would sign up. Uh, cl- even close to the playoffs, they would sign up for that entering the year. I don't even think the D-backs necessarily expected to be in or even make a run once they got in. Because Mike Hazen in February said uh, to find a successful season as being a- in a position to be aggressive buyers at the deadline, and they were not necessarily completely aggressive at the deadline, but they yeah. did make they did make an aggressive move with Seawald as the closer as well as picking up Tommy Pham as another key contributor from that deadline. And not only did they play meaningful games in September, they're playing meaningful games in October. So from that standpoint, you can argue that they've had more than a successful season. And Tommy Pham, he's cooled off too, hasn't he? Yeah, I believe Pham's dealing with a turf toe injury. So 
He's trying to play through it. I mean, that's a guy. If he could get something, if he could get, if he could heat up, that would, that would get this. That could help jumpstart this offense. Yeah, because he, uh, I think he got five hits between games one and two against the Dodgers, I believe. Yeah, he was a huge factor in that series. He was en fuego. But I do think uh, it's also a case of the Dimebacks need Corbin Carroll to also heat up because, like with Bryce Harper with Philadelphia, the Diamondbacks go where Corbin Carroll takes them. And Carroll's had, while he's reached base in the first inning in both games, he really hasn't had much of an impact in the series overall. And Philadelphia's done a pretty good job of uh, giving him different looks when he's gotten on base. He hasn't, the two times he's reached, he hasn't even attempted a stolen base. Part of that because Philadelphia is being quick to home plate. Aaron Nola was utilizing a slide step yesterday. I noticed that one immediately on the first pitch. And then Carroll, after the game, said the times that they were getting off Nola, it was too fast to even think about attempting a steal. So it's, I think Philadelphia has done a good job of slow, slowing down the Dimebacks' running game through this series. I don't even think they've attempted a steal yet. Yeah, they've uh, they've definitely looked really good. Michael, do you think, I mean, where do you think the series is going? What do you think is going to happen this week? I think we're going to find we're going to find out in game three whether or not this is going to be a short or a long longer series. So the Dimebacks come out playing game three with a sense of urgency, the type of baseball that they want. They they prefer to play and they win, play a downhill game, win wire to wire. I think we'll see a longer series. Now, if they come out flat for game three, it's only a question. The series will probably end at Chase Field, only a question of four or five games. That's basically how it comes down to, because game four is a complete toss-up. If the D-backs go to game three, D-backs win game three, then you got a complete toss-up for game four. You can go any either way. And then you're up against, the, then you got Zach Gallon at home against Zach Wheeler in game five. So I think game three is important just to set the tone for the series. Or yeah, Zach versus Zach. We like that Zach battle. <laughs> I think yeah, so... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I think the key is for Brandon Fott to stay in the yard, which is easier said than done. Fott's home run rate is 2.1 per nine innings, and Philadelphia can slug one through nine in their lineup. So their starting pitchers have given up five home runs, all solo homers, but giving up five home runs, it's like taking five haymakers to the chin. And eventually, it's uh, the backs just have to keep Schwarber and company in the yard this series, the rest of the way to have a chance. Yeah, and that's a tall ask for Brandon Fott to put it. I mean, for him to be in this spot here. I mean, this is. I mean, he's a young pitcher. Uh, this is a you know a, a critical must-win game three. Yeah, there is a little bit of precedent in Dimex history for a rookie pitcher starting a. Du- a must-win game three. If you remember the 2011 NLDS, Josh Colmenter started game three, and the Dimebacks ended up blowing out Milwaukee to make it a series again. Of course, yeah, 2011 that... team. Go ahead. Everyone remembers Sorry. that game as the Paul Goldschmidt arrival game as he had that grand slam <laughs> to blow it open. That's some good trivia right there. I mean, that was a great series, too. It was cool that we got to see those teams match up again in October again this year. Yeah, the Dimebacks' two, last two postseason uh, exits, they avenged both of them in this postseason with the uh, Brewers and then the Dodgers. 
Yeah. Uh, I were you. Uh, which one surprised you more? I would probably say the Dodgers one was more surprising just on the way they did it necessarily, that they just had control from the series from basically the first batter and then <laughs> never let up the rest of the way. Yeah, I, like I would, Philadelphia's done it. I would say, I mean, again, coming in this postseason, I thought the Dodgers were highly flawed, uh, really, with their pitching staff. And I just it seemed like they were set up more to be a, a really good regular season team. And I talked to a lot of Dodgers fans that didn't have very high expectations. I think they were happy that they won the division again, uh, that they got another first round by because some people thought San Diego was going to run away with this division or, you know, they, there are some people that thought Dodgers. I mean, Steve Phillips, God bless him. He had the Dodgers missing the playoffs this year. So, I mean, I just, I don't know. I thought they were beatable, but I liked that matchup for LA just because they always pound the Diamondbacks. Like that's something they've been doing for years. So um, it did feel like that was an exorcism in some ways to for Arizona to return the volley and, and beat up on the Dodgers. So kind of just talking about the Dodgers and the fact that they got a first uh, buy for the wild card round. Do you think it's just uh, the fact that the, uh, Teams with a bye went one and three in their division series. Is that some? Is that just a one year thing, or do you think that's something with staying power? I think it's something. I do think it's something that needs to be addressed. I think there's there's truth to both sides of it because Atlanta was flawed with their pitching. L.A. was flawed with their pitching. So to say that, hey, you know what? If we put them in a, if there isn't this whole week off, if we make those series best of seven. I mean, do the series play out? I don't differently. I don't think that the Dodger series does. I think that, I think that Dodgers team was going to lose if that was a best of seven, if they didn't have a whole week off, if it was a different format, I, I, I don't think that team was going to win. Um, the brave series, I think may have been a little different. I mean, I do think that like I said, I think I thought Atlanta was flawed with their pitching, but with that team, I mean, it's tough when you have a whole week off and then you lose game one, and now you're in a highly, highly pressurized game two where you must win that game. It's just an insane amount of pressure to put on a team that had the best record in baseball um, to now be on basically game two. You got to win that game. I'm a big proponent and big believer that the DS should be a best of seven. I understand that they want to keep these series moving. They don't want it to go on too long. I know some people compare it to the NBA with the NBA playoffs go on too long. I don't think this, that adding two games is going to drag out these series all that much. And I really think that it's needed in baseball because baseball is a, fluky sport when you shorten the sample size you go 162 games I, there should be a greater reward for being a great regular season team and I think that the longer series you have the more that favors teams that are better and deeper and have longer pitching staffs and I also I kind of liked I know I'm not saying we should go back to it but the COVID year one thing I liked about stacking that CS or World Series where you just played seven straight days. One thing I liked about it is it really rewarded teams with long and deep pitching staffs. 
because uh, the regular season is so such a different animal from the postseason. So I would like to see some reform here. And I do think um, so. Yeah, and I would say I was also the one I think I was most surprised by of those outcomes. We're talking about the NL side is Baltimore. I thought I, I was surprised that Baltimore went out the way they did. I thought that was a better team. Um, and I think Texas is look, Texas is a really good team, but they're also a case of a team that is playing its best ball and peaking at the right time. They're hot right now. Everything's clicking. I mean, I, they played from basically from June 5th on through the end of the year, they were a sub 500 team, like slightly under 500 for three or four months there. It's that's four months. Um, And they really dropped off a cliff and played. They looked horrible in the month of August. So, I mean, I think Texas is a case of a team that, you know what, they're playing, they're peaking at the right time um, in a best of seven series with Baltimore not getting a whole week off. I think that series, I don't think that series is a sweep. I think that, I do think that we should uh, change things up a little bit. And I've got some ideas about how. What do you think? I mean, the main problem, if you extend the uh... – I think the problem is the number of teams in the playoffs because when you have a number that isn't a power by two, you can't. There's going to be buys. There's going to be teams resting, getting getting a time off between games. And I think the one team, and the Braves obviously were the team maybe affected the most by it, and then Houston was the least affected since they ended up winning. But they did. They were uh, the one team to lose a game two in that division series, if I remember correctly. The Sorry. Um... Just you say that again? The team, yeah, one Houston, team to lose. Yeah, yeah, the teams that won game one in the division series, three of the four went on to win game two. Houston was the only team that did not win game two, but of course they mm. won games three and four anyway. Interesting, think, yeah. You can argue maybe the regular season is a little bit too long, so if you want to play under a certain calendar, you shrink the regular season a little bit. Nobody's really going to complain that much. Since rec- offensive records aren't likely to be broken anyway. But then you take that, and then uh, you extend. You'd have to either extend the playoff field to five, or shri- I mean eight, or shrink it down to four if you wanted to have a situation where no team gets a bye. Yeah, and they're not going to shrink it down because uh, th- this is exactly what they want. I personally was not a fan of expanding the postseason. Uh, I would have liked to wait until we got to thirty-two teams. I think that's eventually where where we're going to go. We're going to add two expansion teams. We'll probably realign some divisions. Maybe it ends up looking a little bit like the NFL, where you got four divisions in each league. I'd like to see. I would have waited because I think it's too high of a percentage of teams making the postseason right now. Um, you're getting these 84 win teams in the postseason, which quite frankly, I just don't think that I want to see the the best teams be rewarded a little more. I want to see the best of the best. So I'd like, I, I actually really enjoyed the five team playoff at first. I didn't, I didn't like how it all came down to that one game, but at the same time, there's a way that you could stay out of that wild card game and that's to win your division. So it's kind of like, you had a penalty for not winning your division. We kept the uh, We had a nice. It was a. It was a cleaner format, I think. And I think right now, you know, yeah, even it wasn't a long layoff either. Yeah, and that's the. There was less of a. There wasn't a long layoff. And then the other thing that I think is interesting is we've got these wild card series. 
why not? Why? I, I understand. I shouldn't ask the question. Why not? But what I would do is I know that you got it. You want to give teams a day to travel. Why don't we start these DS series right after the wild card series, ditch that travel day. And then there's that, that would give a greater reward to the teams that have the buy because when you give them that extra day, that gives teams another day to line up their pitching staff if they had to play in that wild card series. Like I would rather see those teams have to burn through pitching and then have a situation where, okay, you know what? They can't, there, there's a greater advantage to the teams that are uh, the teams that excelled in the regular season and earned that buy. Because it doesn't seem like the buy is much of a reward right now. And also the, uh, there was the off day between games one and two in the division series, which really rewarded the D-backs and the Phillies. Two teams that yeah. aren't necessarily more than three deep with comfortable going three deep in their rotation. Because of the extra off day, both teams will only need to use three starters. And I get why they do it because they want to have, they kind of want to have more, the series go on a little longer, have, you know, if you have the AL and the NL playing on all the same days and you have days where you don't have baseball. Um, but I would rather, I mean, again, this is another thing I would do instead of having like playing game one and then having game two, uh, having a day off, why don't we just have one league start a series a day earlier? So why don't we just have it used to be right. Yeah. And then the other thing I don't I don't understand is the strategy. If you want people to watch playoff baseball, why are you starting these series on a Saturday where there's a lot of college football on and then a Sunday going toe to toe with the NFL? Why aren't we getting those games started on a Friday uh, where we could really own that day as a sport of like, okay, this is the first day of the the playoffs are really getting going here. Right. Yeah, exactly. Better. And yeah. And then we can start yeah, on Monday just, because that series mostly start on Mondays and Fridays in the in major leagues. Yeah. I would be fine with, Friday. I would try to, I, you know, personally, as much as I love baseball and I will still watch baseball over the NFL. Um, if I want more people viewing, I would just, for lack of a better word, I would punt on Sundays. We don't need to play playoff games on Sundays or, um, cause I mean, you go toe to toe. I, the, the, CS, I think it was was it the ALCS started on Sunday night. Yeah, the NLCS started yeah. Monday versus I mean the NLCS started on Monday, which is good for that so, series. Right, it's better. I mean, you're going toe to toe with Sunday night football, which is the most watched show in America on Sunday night. I I just don't. That's not that wouldn't be my strategy. I would wait until I'd try to get as many of these games during the week as I could. All right, so do you have any predictions? Uh, so predictions on both championship series? I think Houston's coming back. I think that this is, yeah, I, I cover the Astros as well for inside the Astros. And I think that I'm going to make a bold prediction. We've got game three tonight. The last time Scherzer went out there against the Astros, I believe he gave up seven runs. Um, I, I know it's exciting. He's a great pitcher. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Scherzer's lost some velocity this year. He really is, in my opinion, regressing. Um, I mean, if he if he delivered a big time performance on the road, I mean, we'll give him all the credit in the world. But I think I think. Oh, at home. Yes, you're right. Yeah. They went back to Texas. 
I think I think this series is far from over. I think Houston is going to win today. I think they're going to score a lot of runs. I think we're going to see a lot of runs scored um, throughout the remainder of this series. I think it's going to end up going to seven. And I'm still I'm going to go with the Astros. I think the Astros are going to win that series in seven. Yeah, and also you look at the Rangers pitching staff. They're, the bottom half of their rotation is much more vulnerable than Houston's. Yeah, and how about – how about I know I guess another one we've you and I have had conversations about. How about Montgomery? I mean that guy's going to get paid a nice. He's going to have a nice payday this winter. Can you imagine if you're the Yankees and you traded, you traded him away, and then you gave up prospects for Montas and you signed Rodon. So you gave up a lot to get Montas and Rodon, and neither of those guys have really pitched for you. And then you were, they got rid of Montgomery because they didn't think he was good enough to pitch for them in the postseason. And now Montgomery's going to, I mean, he's going to get a nice payday. I mean, and he was great the other day, too. Yeah, he said one so so start against the Orioles, and his other two starts, he's been lights out. Like, not giving up yeah. runs kind of lights out. And I also, I want to, you know, if we're talking about, I got to, I do have to give Texas credit because even though I'm picking Houston, I've been a big time doubter of the Texas Rangers all year. Um, didn't love the DeGrom signing. Thought that they probably spent a lot more and kind of went for it a little early. But I've been wrong on them all season long. I mean, even though DeGrom has only thrown about 30 innings or so for them this season, they've done an amazing job with putting that pitching staff together. John Gray, um, I did give him a lot of credit. Oh, yeah, I wrote John the Gray's story. starting tonight. Yeah, and I, I gave the oh, – no, no, I, th- sorry, I think it's Scherzer. Four. Yeah, Scherzer's going tonight. John Gray's going to game four. They went out. They made the move for Scherzer. We'll see how he does. I'm not I'm not overly optimistic for him like, tonight. I think that Houston's going to win this game. But the best signing, you know, honestly, and I'll say the best value contract. I wrote this at the time. I wrote it last winter. I said it was the best signing of the winter. Nathan Eovaldi. Nathan Eovaldi is a great pitcher. He's a clutch performer. We saw that the other day where he had the bases loaded with nobody out, and he was able to get out of that inning. I mean, what a great signing that was for two years, and I think around 35 to $37 million. Uh, there were a lot of pitchers that were signed for more. Like, I'll give you an example. Like Taiwan Walker, I think he got around you know, four years, 70 60 to 75 million. Jamison Tyone, he got four years, 70 million. Wouldn't you much rather have that Nathan Eovaldi contract um, than the Carlos Rodon contract or the Jacob deGrom contract? I know it was the same team, but I mean, that was the best free agent signing of the winter. Yep. It was, it's like Texas did a good job of hedging their bets against the potential deGrom injury, too. Yeah. Up they Eovaldi. did. Yeah. And then going out and adding Montgomery and and getting Scherzer as well. Um, I mean, it's been a fun team. I and mean, they that's another team. They spray the ball over the field. Their offense is great. And I think generally we sometimes look at these teams that spend a lot of money. And, yeah, I mean, some people love it. Other people are critical. I think naturally I'm inclined when I see teams spending and building through spending. I'm like, okay, this doesn't. this typically doesn't work. But it does work when you get the right players. And that's, I mean, if they had spent, I think they spent a combined $500 million on Seager and Semyon, 
it's been a hundred percent worth it so far. If they had spent that five hundred million dollars on uh, Javi Baez and Anthony Ro- uh, Rendon, or I don't know who else you want to throw in there, then that's that's not a good that that's that's a very poor way to spend money. But if you actually do get those players, if a Bryce Harper that contract looks amazing, um, it honestly feels like it's more of a rarity that those big contracts land. Um, and there are more cases of the Giancarlo, Giancarlo Stanton or Chris Davis or whomever you whatever name you want to throw in there. Yeah, and Seager this year, obviously, I think if he played the full season instead of uh, about 80% of it, I think he'd be getting first place MVP votes this year. I think so, yeah, 100%. I think he played 119 games, I want to say, around that. It was but... 130, if I remember correctly. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's somewhere in that like 155. Yeah. If he, he would have gotten in there, uh, Otani's going to win the award. Um, who else was on your radar for AL MVP? It's like, if you were doing a top five list, cause I, I did a top five list. Yeah. I was going to say Seager would be my number two pick, but I'm going to take a look at, I'm going to take a look at the American league. See, uh, always start with war just in case. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I Kyle Kyle Tucker. I think I had him in there. Jose Ramirez. I had Marcus Semi. Maybe a dark horse candidate to get some MVP votes down ballot. Like if you look at, well, obviously wins above replacement. He's going to have more replacement runs than Seager, but leads the American League hitters at seven four. He's a great player. I mean, he really is a great player and. I know we t- we talk a lot about some of the trades that have gone wrong. I don't think we talk enough about when the Chicago White Sox traded Semyon and Chris Bassett for Jeff Samarja. That was a terrible trade for the White Sox. Yeah, and Oakland could have done more with that trade too. They could have. Uh, those two players Actually, didn't end up reaching their peak until after they left. Michael, I've been staying out here with doing the fall league stuff in Arizona, uh, out here from Chicago. And one of the guys I live with is a huge A's fan. And he's just depressed watching these playoffs because every single team has a guy. It's like, oh, there's there's Robbie Grossman or there's Matt Olson or there's <laughs> Matt Chapman. We saw him earlier in the playoffs. Semyon. It's like all the cast-offs from the A's are now excelling, and Semyon's a great example of that. So, anyway, my my pick, I think Houston's going to come back. Now, Now, do I know, necessarily believe, Are they? am I 100% confident that they're going to win this series? No, but I don't think, I do think this series is actually going to end up being a really good series. I think there's enough, there's enough, uh, animosity there between those two teams you got two teams from texas it's not a it's not a long time rivalry but there's a little bit there with that um you've got two uh the two oldest managers in the sport managing in this series uh old time guys and that i mean that that starts an interesting conversation about you know should we employ more of these older managers um instead of phasing them out and going with the younger flashier guys being a manager, I feel like people don't necessarily look for the right qualities in a manager. 
because you could probably lump Lavello into the uh, and Rob Thompson into the old school category of managers, and you can see how well they're doing in the National mm-hmm. side of things. Yeah, so like Rob Tam- Rob Thompson's is about as old school as you can get as a manager. Yeah, yeah, he's done a fantastic job. I mean, I think they're like, I want to say they're about thirty or forty games over five hundred since he took over the club in twenty twenty two. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that this Houston series has legs. I think it's going to end up being a really good series. Maybe it's just me being optimistic because we haven't had any games go to a winner take all yet in these playoffs. In fact, these playoffs have been kind of lame in a lot of ways. We've had some good stories. We've had some great teams and great players, but I think we all are waiting for that great, you know, game seven series. I think we're going to get that on the AL side. Not quite yes. sure if that'll be the case on the NL side, however. Yeah, you look at both series are two zero. So, like, if you want a high, if you want a long series, you want both those series to go two two. After four, so answering the Rob Thompson question, Thompson is one fifty five and one eighteen as the Phillies manager, so thirty seven games above five hundred. Man, that's unbelievable. Um, as for the NL side, I think you asked me where I think that series is going to go. I'm going to give the Diamondbacks a game. I think the Diamondbacks are going to win. I don't know if it's tomorrow or if they prolong the series a day. I think this is going to wrap up here in Arizona. It's going to end in five games. Um, and I, I mean, I do think that if, if they're able to win, if they're able to win tomorrow, the series, you know, could end up going a little longer, but I just think, you know, personally, I think Philly is a much better team. Um, you have a long series now, a best of seven, it was a great story with Arizona. There's a lot for them to build off of. It'll be interesting to see how they progress moving into next year. Um, and then what, what steps they take next year. And I also want to say this, this is the thing that's kind of interesting about these new playoffs is you get these teams that are, you know, an 84 win team is in the playoffs and it gets to the NLCS. What I think is going to be interesting is what's going to happen next year. What if Arizona, yes, go ahead. I was going to say, this is the second straight year that a sixth seed has gone to the NLCS. It's oh, Yeah. This format. And people forget, I mean, look, I, I'm really high on Philly this year. I was not high on them last year. I mean, they kind of limped into the playoffs. A big reason why they got in was because Milwaukee played so poorly in the final month. I mean, I saw the – it was like with a week or two left, the Phillies got swept by the Cubs, and the Cubs were horrible last year. So I just think that – uh yeah, it is. A, I mean, this is second straight year we've gotten this team this far. Um, but I, I don't know. I think what will be interesting for Arizona fans is because of what we have with these bigger playoffs, if the if the Diamondbacks win 95 games next year, um, I'll give credit to Sam Dykstra over at MLB.com because he said this last night when we were in the press box. He said, you know, if, if they win 95 games and they win the division – but they get bounced out of the playoffs. They don't win a playoff game or they they don't win a playoff series. Is the season then going to be looked at as this colossal disappointment? Is it going to be looked at as, man, they regressed. They took a step backwards. Because to people like you and me who really are, you know, inside uh, baseball and follow it very closely, I certainly wouldn't look at it that way. I would look at it as a huge step forward for them, a great season, um, and sometimes you just you have a great year and you, it doesn't translate in the postseason because this, especially with this new 
postseason format. That's a little fluky when you get a best of three and then a best of five. But yeah, because any team can win a three game series. Any team can win a three game series, regardless of where that series is being played. I mean, I thought I mean last year the Cardinals should have beaten the Phillies. And they had, I think it was four errors in that ninth inning, which just doesn't happen. Like they gave, they put that series on a platter for the Phillies. Um, you just don't see that anywhere. Yeah, the, they blew a they blew a pretty big ninth inning lead, and then Philadelphia just took off from there, all the yeah. way to the World Series. Yeah, it was it was unbelievable, and that, I mean that's where there's going to be an element of randomness in it. Um, I, I do think I would really like to see some kind of, I know Bob Costas had a great idea for how he would kind of reform these playoffs. I can't exactly remember what it was, but I encourage people to look that up. Uh, I know he's talked about it on MLB or MLB network. One thing I would also do is we had like, why are we having so many divisional series? Like, why are we having divisional series in the division series so for instance when we grew up watching baseball i remember i think there was one year where the cardinals and the astros would have played each other based on record in the nlds but they never had teams from the same division play each other in round one and they had a reason behind that you play you know if if it went to the cs then you play the team from your division so I mean, I just don't think for the Braves, for having the best record in in the sport, why don't we give them the chance to choose if they want to play the Diamondbacks or the Phillies? Because I I don't think they were wanting to sign up to play the Phillies there in that short series. I think they would have much rather played Arizona. And that adds a little bit of drama to the series because then you've got the team that's, you know, all fired up. Oh, they, they want to play us. Oh, now it's personal. We're, we'll show them. I'd like to see something like that. I think they used to have reseeding for the uh, division round when you got past the wild card, but uh, they did away with it, I think, the last couple of years. Maybe perhaps make it easier for teams to travel, I suppose, is perhaps the reasoning. So it's like if you need back to get past Milwaukee, but getting past Milwaukee, but you knew if you got past Milwaukee, you'd play the Dodgers. Whereas I think under previous formats they would have played the Braves in a reseeding situation so right yeah and that would make more sense I mean because we I don't know I just yeah it was weird because we saw the division both those I forgot that we you know off that you got Dodgers and Diamondbacks in the same division so then you ended up having that on both sides of the DS in terms of division divisional battles and I don't know. I mean, it's just you typically don't want to play a team from your division in the postseason when you have the better record in a short series. You'd rather play them in a best of seven series. You prefer to play someone else. I know it does help with travel generally, but I would have liked I, I think there are some ways that we can improve this format. Is there anything that you yourself would change, Michael? I mean, I would probably make re- if we're going to make changes, obviously, if you want a best of seven series, I think they need to shrink the regular season to account for that. So shrink it from 162 to 154. Make the division series seven. And then I know this is going to add te- 500 teams to the postseason, but you expand the playoff field to eight once they once they get their two expansion teams in. And that could be coming uh. soon because the A's and the Rays stadium situations have been resolved. 
I don't I don't want to see that many teams in the playoffs. I think then you're going to you'll end up having half the league in the playoffs. And I just I want I want the playoffs to be the best of the best. I mean, you're if you have half the team in the playoffs, you might get some teams with below 500 records. I just don't think they've earned the right to be there. I know that they'll make more money with that. But to your point of shortening the regular season, I've got no problem with that, actually, because if you look at baseball history, I mean, they played what? They played 150, 154 for a long time, and then they eventually um, expanded the regular season to be 162. Like, we haven't been – it's not like 162 is this number that since the dawn of time, we've always been playing 162 games. The season used to be a little shorter. I'd have to look on this – you know, I don't have – my computer in front of me right now. I'm here on podcast, but um, I'll have to look afterwards. I know that at some point, it, I, yeah, I don't know what necessarily when it was. It may have been the fifties or uh, sometime. I mean, it was long before I was born, but baseball existed playing less than 162 games and it, it can't exist that way again. And yeah, I know, I know some people would talk about the records and all of that stuff. I mean, we could have, we can make note that this is what a, the best, this is the best uh, RBI total or the best batting average or the best home run in a 154 game season. It could be its own separate thing. So if you wanted to compare the best home run season, in a 154 game season was Babe Ruth with 60. Now Roger Maris got uh, hit 61 in the first year that they made a 162 game season in the American league. 1961, and then yeah, that became a thing right, nationally the next year. And, of course, Judge in a 162-game season hit 62. We're just comparing Yankees that broke the home run record. Ironically, on the same yep. day. <laughs> it's funny how that works. It was 61 years later. Yeah. 61 years was... later that after Maris hit 61. It's a funny number. Yeah. My dad was 10 years old when he... When uh, Roger Maris broke the record, my dad turned 71 the day that Aaron Judge broke it last year. That's awesome. That's really cool. So, yeah. So, shrinking it to 164, maybe you go back to the wild card play-in because that's basically uh, game 163. Get rid of tiebreakers, too. I'd like to – I would like to have the game 163. I mean – um, those were always great drama. I mean, the Cubs played the Brewers in 2018 at Wrigley and the Milwaukee went in and they won that. And that was a huge, huge deal for Brewers fans. And it was, it was great entertainment. And I liked having those game 163s. I like having tiebreakers, you know, on the field rather than, and, and we're playing less division games. Now we, we used to play 19 or so division games per you play 19 games against each team in your division. Now it's only 13. So we basically are making it, we're making those divisional games more important and yet we're playing less of them. Yeah. And then you're also playing every team during the season under the current schedule. So you kind of have an idea how you match up against them going into the postseason as well. Yeah. Although going into the postseason, you throw out what you did yesterday out the window. Right. (laughs) For sure. So, uh, any final thoughts before we go? 
Uh, you know, I'm excited to see where the series goes. I mean, I, I personally would like to see the Diamondbacks win and come back because that means that we would have a World Series games here in Arizona while I'm out here. Um, I think that'd be really fun. Either way, I mean, it's been really cool just being out here over the past few weeks and seeing the excitement from this fan base. I know that people from Arizona tell me that the Suns are like the, the big team in the Valley. They're the oldest team. They're the team that everyone's the most excited about. But I mean, this is a great baseball area. So you want to see baseball be big here and, and, and the Diamondbacks do well. So it's been a fun run. Um, I'm looking for, if they do lose, I'll, I'm looking forward to getting a chance to see some of my friends who have been so busy covering the team, uh, over the last few weeks, uh, some of my friends over at CBS three. It's been a scramble the last three weeks or so, (laughs) but it's been fun watching the games in the press box. Uh, it's been fun being out here, but Michael, I just want to thank you for having me on. I know you've been uh, grinding, working hard on this podcast. You do a really great job. You're someone that I tremendously respect. Uh, one of the, you're one of the people that if I want to know stuff about what's going on with this Diamondbacks team, um, you know all the trivia. You've got a great memory of everything that's going on. you rattling off stuff from 2011. Um, I love it. Uh, big fan of yours and the work you do. And I mean, I just want to encourage people if you aren't already check out his work at inside the diamondbacks and go ahead. And, um, if you, if I, you're cool with me giving a plug here, Michael, I'll give a little plug for my stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm over at inside the Phillies, inside the Cubs, inside the Mets, inside the pinstripes and inside the Astros. Um, Sometimes writing for Baseball Essential. I've also written for Inside the Dimebacks, too. Maybe we'll see if I make an appearance again over there. But um, anyway, I I love writing about baseball stuff. I'd love for people to check it out. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Jack Vita Show. I've got that here. Oh, perfect. Thanks. Oh, X. Yes, thank you. I forgot that we call it X now. Um, And then I've got a podcast, too. I've got a sports podcast with... um, it's a lot of baseball. We do some interviews with athletes, uh, people in sports. We do a lot of sports analysis. We also have had some people on from reality competition shows like Survivor. Um, it's 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 a fun listen. I think you guys would like it. It's a little different from some of the other sports shows out there because you're getting some different perspectives from different people from different worlds of entertainment. Um, but it's called the Jack Vita Show. Love for you guys to subscribe and check it out. Um, I'll certainly have to have Michael on sometime. We'll talk some ball, um, taking a little bit of a break from recording right now because I'm out here in Arizona and I'm recording this from my phone right now. I don't have a real great, uh, podcast set up in terms of microphone or anything like that. Um, so it's easier for me to guest on a show, but not necessarily record, but I'll be back. I'm certain there'll be some new episodes and content coming out, um, in November and December. I've got an interview with former, um, Dallas Cowboys, Steve Wright, who actually competed on Survivor as well. Um, that'll be one of our next episodes. And if you're interested in going back and checking out some of the stuff I've done before, um, we've had guests such as Brian Urlacher, Bob Nightingale, Scott Pauler, the NBA player, Mickey Morandini, Kyle Kendrick, some former Phillies. Um, so yeah, I'd love it if you guys would check that out. I've got a website. It's called jackvita.com. All my stuff's there. It's up on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Jack Vita Show. would love for you guys to hit subscribe and uh, follow me. And 
I'll have I'll bring Michael on so we can do a home and away here. That'll be a good idea. All right, for thanks sure. everyone for what? Thanks everyone for watching. Uh, make sure to hit that subscribe button. Leave a like, comment down below, and uh, send you on on your merry day. And hopefully, uh, we got more to talk about as a, when with the, in regards to this NLCS.